Hello and welcome to 444's Fantasy Football's Most Accurate Podcast. My name is John Paulson. I'm your host today. And today uh, I am joined for another uh, edition of the uh, Bonus 2017 Draft Strategy Podcast. I'm joined uh, by Matt Harmon. Uh, you know his work from ReceptionPerception.com. If you want to check out his data and his analysis, it's over at Fantasy Footballers. But uh, make sure you hit that ReceptionPerception.com link first so that he gets credit for your subscription help support him and his work uh, the great work that he does with reception perception you can find him on twitter at matt Harmon underscore byb and he also uh, works for nfl.com matt thanks for coming on the podcast oh my pleasure it's a crazy morning here on on friday as we're recording this uh so yeah absolutely my pleasure to 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 hash some of it out and to talk about reception perception i really appreciate you having me on man Absolutely. Uh, we had to push the podcast back 15 minutes so that I could get the news items up and uh, adjust some of the projections on 444.com for the Ezekiel Elliott news. So he's going to miss uh, six games. We're going to talk briefly about the big news this morning, both uh, the Watkins trade and uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Um, and then we're going to get into Matt's work. Uh, six games for Ezekiel Elliott. I kind of thought, I don't know what about you, Matt, but I thought this was going to be a one or two game suspension at the start uh, with the way that Adam Schefter was talking about it uh, being a quote unquote short uh, suspension. I believe that was the quote with him out six games. Do you, when would you feel comfortable taking Elliot? How does it impact uh, the, the, the Dallas outlook? And then uh, how much would you move up uh, Darren McFadden in your rankings? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is definitely a, a situation where, as an analyst, like trying to give advice to people, it's one where I, I'm willing to still be reasonably aggressive with Elliot, but I completely understand if, if someone else playing wants to be more conservative and isn't interested in, you know, sitting on him for half the season, it looks like. I mean, he won't be back until week eight because of Dallas's bye week right after the suspension. So you're missing a chunk, I mean, a huge chunk of the fantasy regular season if you decide to take Ezekiel Elliott onto your roster. Um, and it's a big risk. I mean, it's it's more so than what we saw with Le'Veon Bell last year. Now, Bell, of course, fell into like the third round of most drafts and, you know, really became someone that helped a lot of people win their leagues because of the, just the unfair advantage that he gave players once he came back. And I think a lot of people have kind of learned from from that mistake and to remember that the most important weeks in a fantasy season are the, the, the final few weeks. The, the trouble is, you know, how do you get there while also burning a high pick on Ezekiel Elliott? And it's, it's a fair question to ask. I mean, it's a, it is a high-risk, high-reward potential strategy uh, to take him. And for me, so I, before this news, I had – him in his own second tier after Bell and Johnson, be, just because I think those guys give you really, like I said, an unfair positional advantage because of the receiving work that they do in, in addition to being great on the ground. And then Zeke in his own tier just because of this murky suspension news. Now I think he slides into the rest of the guy. The, the, the guys that were in tier three for me become guys all in tier two along with Elliott, and that being Devonta Freeman, LaShawn McCoy, Jay Ajayi, DeMarco Murray, Melvin Gordon, Jordan Howard. I think I would take all of those players ahead of Elliott. But in my third tier, you know, guys like Lamar Miller, Isaiah Crowell, Leonard Fournette, Todd Gurley. I have to ask myself, do I really want, you know, potentially 16 games out of those guys versus what I can get from Elliott in just the section that he's going to be available? And I think that becomes really the question you have to ask yourself and I don't think I mean once it once it gets to the round two three turn that's where I'm really starting to consider do I take Elliott and just try to then make a roster construction around him that allows me to insulate myself from that risk and, and you can tell I'm kind of talking myself in circles here because this is this is kind of the way this news goes but there are players like Rob Kelly you know uh, Jacquez Rogers that are going to be available in the early part of the season to kind of help you through that initial void I don't really think that McFadden's going to launch up my rankings too much for a, a, a variety of reasons. You know, one being he's getting older. I he, I don't think he's just going to slide right back into his 2015 production. There could be potential other players to take some of the load there. So I, I'm probably not overvaluing McFadden too much in this news, but it's a tough situation. I can understand how how however you want to play it basically i think i'm still open to the risk because they don't print trophies for third place so uh that that's kind of where i'm at with that (laughs) 
Yeah, and then as you were explaining your tears and when you would start to think about him at that 2-3 turn, and I've been talking on our podcast and with the other analysts I've had on these bonus pods about the hole that exists in my mind in the third round where you get into the early, even the early third round and you're just looking at these guys and you're like, these are not typical third-round players in fantasy. Um, I don't feel comfortable taking a lot of these guys uh, here, and I'm talking about Crowell, um, you know, maybe even Ty Montgomery, some of the receivers, uh, Watkins before this whole uh, trade. Um, you're, you're kind of uncomfortable with that. And I was thinking, uh, as I did my projections, uh, Ezekiel slid down uh, significantly, uh, standard about 10. Uh, PPR, he's at about 18. But you have to look at him on a per-game basis and what value yeah. does he bring you to your roster for those last uh, the last half of the season and obviously the money games if you can make the playoffs. Um, I, I would be more inclined to take him if I could get uh, if I'm in a league where six teams make the playoffs because it, it's a little bit easier to make the playoffs. Um, and I would actually be very open-minded to take him in the third round uh, there uh, with the idea that I would try to get Mac McFadden maybe in the eighth or ninth. I'm really interested to see where his ADP lies because he's burned so many owners before. Uh, he's only got the sixth game uh, where he's going to be the starter. Uh, you could also, I, I thought your mention of Jacquiz Rogers was a, was a great one because that's four games right there where he's likely, or is it three games for Martin? It's three games. Uh, yeah, one last it's three game. games for Martin. Okay. So, so half of the suspension, um, you get, you've got Rodgers probably posting RB2 numbers for you. I think McFadden could be in that 10 to 15 range on a weekly basis uh, behind that offensive line. Um, so it is a very interesting situation. I'm interested to see where early ADP lies, and, and that will kind of inform uh, our, our decision there as, as to whether or not an Elliott-McFadden pairing is works or an Elliott-somebody-else uh, pairing works because I think we'll see Elliott fall into that third round or later because his suspension is even longer than, than bells. So uh, moving on, let's just, talk this, about just one uh, more quick note on, on this too. I just wanted to make the point sure. that these situations always like these always serve as a reminder to just how much fantasy owners tend to overrate the draft in general as like this make or break point of your team. And it's just because we're consumed with it right now because it's, it's the big event that's coming up and we talk about this for seven months, but you know, we're, we're, we're about to try to be winning on a week-to-week basis, and a player like Ezekiel Elliott is going to really help you win week-to-week at the end of the season. And, you know, I've had some people reply to me talk about this on Twitter today. Well, if you take Zeke in the, you know, second, third round, and then your team goes one and seven, he's useless to you by that point. I'm like, well, look, if you have mismanaged your team to the point where you're one and seven, your team was probably going to suck anyways, regardless of Elliott being in there or not. So I think it just, like, you don't make or break your team at the draft. There's definitely ways you can you know, insulate the Ezekiel Elliott pick, but so much of that is also going to be, you know, from waiver wires, trades, et cetera, et cetera, making good lineup decisions. So I just think that's, this is one of those points that always brings that home to me. That's a great point. Uh, important for listeners to understand that. Uh, let's uh, talk about the other big news. Uh, and it would be a block. I mean, it is a blockbuster, but it'd be even bigger if not for this Ezekiel Elliott news that we're still reeling from. Uh, but uh, Sammy Watkins got traded from the bills to the Rams and, uh, the Bills traded or acquired uh, Jordan Matthews from the Eagles to replace him. So uh, I'm viewing, I'll give you my quick take here. And then Matt, you're the wide receiver uh, guru. So uh, you can let me know what you think, but um, you know, Watkins was trending up in my rankings cause he's been healthy. The foot seems like it's a, a go and he was, uh, you know, has always been productive when he's healthy in Buffalo. And I like Tyrod Taylor there as a quarterback. So he's going to uh, play for the Rams and Jared Goff. I think this is a downgrade, especially this late in the, in the summer, uh, he's got to build chemistry with Goff, and it's just that was the league's worst passing game uh, last year. So uh, I'm going to have to move Watkins down in my rankings. Kenny Britt did okay there, uh, but you're talking 20s, 30s as his fantasy finish uh, with Goff and Case Keenan throwing the ball. Uh, meanwhile, Jordan Matthews is going to get a bump as he goes to uh, Buffalo because now it looks like he's going to he's back in the mix as the top target in the passing game for his team. Uh, it was looking like in, in Philly that he was wide receiver two or three there um so that's good for him uh, i think it's a downgrade for tyrod taylor because of now he's dealing with a new uh, new receiver who's not as good and then in philly uh, nelson aguilar looks like he might be filling the slot so what do you make of all this matt it's a lot to unpack here with this news uh <laughs> sammy watkins number one 
I think is obviously a really strong number one receiver when he's healthy. Looking back at his 2015 reception perception data, which is really the only year that we've seen him play 16, you know, play a variety of healthy games and be out there with any regularity. Um, he has the top score I've ever charted on flat routes. He's also a really great receiver on the in-breaking patterns like digs, posts, slants, but he's also a deep threat. We know that his 58.9% success rate versus uh, coverage on nine routes is really helps identify him as a, as a high-end big deep threat too. So he slides right into the X receiver role that was just so painfully absent among the Rams wideouts. I mean, they had Robert Woods, who's more of a flanker slot hybrid. I mean, Cooper Cup is a big slot, not 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 dissimilar at all to Jordan Matthews, who's now on the Bills. I think those two are very comparable players. So they kind of have a really nice looking wide receiver core now. But of course, you mentioned the quarterback factor, the overall offensive. There, there's two ways to play this with Sammy Watkins, and that I think he probably is in line to get more targets overall this year now that he's no longer in Buffalo who is probably still going to be a run heavy offense I I could see him you know maybe having the ability to push into the 130 range as opposed I didn't really see that when he was with Buffalo uh but I think the quarterback downgrade and overall offensive downgrade in general is is dampering and and I'm no longer I was willing to be aggressive with Sammy Watkins if I started like a wide receiver heavy draft getting him in the third round was appealing to me then and you know then making up the gaps with running backs later now I don't feel as bullish with that I mean this is the worst possible you can't really can't really paint it with too many rose-colored glasses this is really the worst possible landing spot for a wide receiver in in the Rams passing offense with Jared Goff who was I mean just completely dysfunctional as a rookie so not really a fantasy upgrade for him at all although I do now like the looks of the Rams wide receiver core on paper more um moving to the Bills Oh, I mean, th- this is a tough wide receiver group to figure out now. I mean, this looks like with Bolden, Matthews, and Zay Jones, all of those guys profile as bigger slot receivers. And just how are they going to deploy these players? I mean, Matthews has, if you look at his reception perception, he's pretty much stayed below 60% success rate versus man coverage throughout his career. Um, he's only successful on short routes like slants and flats. I mean, he is, you know, kind of a, a poor man's Eric Decker. I think Decker is the, you know, the epitome of that great big slot receiver. And I like Matthews in that role, but that's also the role I liked Zay Jones to potentially play for the Bills. It's the role that uh, Anquan Bolden played for the Lions last year. So how are they going to deploy these players is the biggest question for me. Not to mention, uh, Tyrod Taylor really has struggled to attack the middle of the field. He's been more of a deep outside the numbers passer, and that's apparently frustrated the prior Bills coaching staff. So maybe this new Bills group is like, hey, you're going to force it into the middle of the field because all they have right now is middle of the field options. It's a very strange collection of wide receivers, but it's definitely an upgrade for for Matthews in terms of volume projections. It sounded like he was falling out of favor. I mean, we can say for sure he was falling out of favor with that Eagles coaching staff. They were obviously excited about what Nelson Aguilar is going to do, who should take over that slot receiver role now. Um, And I think it clears things up for Alshon Jeffrey a little bit too in Philadelphia. I mean, this is just like, you can really take this a lot of different angles, but um, overall I'm, I'm excited for Matthews fantasy wise. He gets a nice little bump up and Watkins definitely looks less appealing at his average draft position right now. Yeah, whenever there's three teams involved, you've got a lot to to account for in projections and rankings and, and all that. And you'll notice uh, two fantasy guys aren't even talking about whether or not this is a good idea for the Bills to trade away Sammy Watkins at this point. Oh, I think <laughs> like I just all we are is the, it's confusing from that from that sense, man. Like I, you know, I get the I guess the Bills are just completely rebuilding because they have multiple they have multiple early day picks now. Uh, you know, they got a second round pick, a third round pick, and and. EJ Gaines back from the Rams too, but Ronald Darby's definitely better corner that they sent to the Eagles. That's a nice move for Philadelphia, but like, yeah, it's it's confusing in terms of what the what the Bills are doing right now. I think that's a a common theme with the Bills. So uh, let's moving on. Let's talk about uh, your. Uh, let's really dig into your reception perception uh, work. I, I did something that probably you frown upon a little bit. It was where I. I put all your data into one number for each receiver uh, and kind of have a ranking here. And I, I, I found some of my favorites at the top and uh, some of the guys I'm worried about at the bottom. So I'd like to talk to you a little bit about um, about what you saw when you charted all these guys. And let's start with the two uh, 
Saints receivers, Michael Thomas and Willie Sneed, they both fared really well. I, 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 you know, I don't think I'm putting words in your mouth in your in your study. Uh, they they should see a bump in targets with uh, Brandon Cooks gone. It may not be a huge bump because Drew Brees likes to, to spread the ball around. That offense likes to spread the ball around. Um, but uh, talk a little bit about Michael Thomas, Willie Sneed, what you saw when you when you were examining them. Yeah, so just for anyone that's not familiar with perception perception, what it is is a methodology that I developed to evaluate the wide receiver position because I think, you know, when I, when I first started out, you know, of course I'm trying to look for ways to, to stand out in the industry, but also you should look for ways that, like, what's this piece of analysis that's not out there that you think you can bring to the table? And one thing that I thought was just apparent is that the wide receiver position is really tough for the casual fan to evaluate. And it's not it's not our fault because – during the games, they run off the screen on the broadcast angles. You don't really see what they're doing downfield. And any wide receiver stat also welcomes in the variables of the quarterback, whether they even got a target or just the overall play call. So, And, and that's and that's what the, even the most advanced metrics welcome in those other variables. So I wanted to find a way to isolate the wide receiver position. And what I do is I over an eight-game sample size for NFL players – I go in and I chart every single route that they run, what type of routes they run, how often they run them, uh, what type of coverage is their most successful, man, zone, press, etc. And uh, also chart success rate by each route. So you really get an understanding of what these players do well and how they do it. So that's the disclaimer for anybody that, that's not familiar. That's what we're that's what we're working with here. Uh, so with Michael Thomas, he had the best rookie season that I've charted since I looked at Odell Beckham back in 2014, who actually still holds the reception perception record for success rate versus man coverage at 81 point or 80.1%, uh, which is obviously that no one's ever crossed that since. But Thomas has, has, like I said, second best season since then. His 74% success rate versus man coverage, his 84.4% success rate versus zone coverage, and 80.2% versus press all checked in above the 88th percentile in reception perception history. He was above average on all routes except one, which is the other, which is kind of just improvisational and fade routes. He also posted a 73% contested catch conversion rate. I mean, this is a superstar level player, in my opinion. Uh, you know, there's obviously some concern among some fantasy analysts in terms of, like you said, the the Saints spreading the ball around, the Saints never really having a featured wide receiver. My counterpoint to that is that they've never really had a wide receiver quite like Michael Thomas before. I mean, he came in and usurped that number one role right away. And I, I really think it's it's funny. Thomas is essentially at this point feels like one of the safe outside of the top four wide receivers feels like one of the safest picks there among that second tier of wideouts, which you wouldn't expect to say, but I just, he's the top target, top red zone target in a Drew Brees offense. And he's a, he's a damn good player. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about Thomas this year. I love this analysis for this reason, because we have Michael Thomas who kind of burst on the scene last year. And there's a lot of people that are still skeptical uh, of whether or not to take him at the end of the first round, early second round PPR formats. And I'm having no problem doing that, especially after uh, reading your, your write-up on him and looking at your data. Look, uh, you know, just two plus two sometimes equals four. And mm-hmm. and, and uh, with, with uh, Cooks out of the way, uh, I just don't see how he, he has a, a year that is significantly worse than what he did last year. And what did you uh, want to talk a little bit about Willie Sneed, um, his – his mid-round value, uh, do you do you see him as a, a solid pick there in the fourth, fifth round? Oh, I'm always game to talk about Willie Sneed. Sneed's a player that uh, midway through the 2014 season, uh, reception, perception, again, this is why I like this type of analysis. You know, he's kind of just a nobody that, who, who you know, who is he, this guy on the Saints offense, really identified him as an ascendant talent. Uh, in the middle of that season, uh, and his 2016 results were were even better than that. He was the he's now the only receiver in reception perception history to actually score an above average success rate versus coverage on all routes during the 2016 season. Like I said, nobody's ever done that before. Um, he's obviously a player that is going to be a, a you know a high volume slot receiver. He's going to get those shorter targets, which I think he's great at. But like I mentioned, he's also a player that can win in the vertical patterns down the field when he's asked to do those. I mean, this is a really ascended talent here with Willie Sneed. And I think a part of the reason why they were okay with just letting Brandon Cooks, I mean, obviously they got a pick back, but why they were okay saying goodbye to a player who's been really productive in his early years, because I think Sneed is a, is a guy they obviously really like. And, and my analysis has been high on pretty much, like I said, since he hit the NFL field. So I'm totally in on Sneed. I think the only question for him fantasy-wise is how many touchdowns is he going to score? Um, which is why I still have him kind of, you know, in the wide receiver 30, 30 ish range. Uh, but I think that that's like his 
that's his floor. You know, there are guys with better ceilings than him, but I don't see him really falling too much lower than that wide receiver 30 spot. I mean, he was the 35th ranked wide receiver in standard leagues last year, and that was without the target bump that is likely going to come his way with Cooks gone. So I'm all in on Snead this year as as a true breakout receiver. And to wrap up the sneak conversation, I'm just going to throw out a stat here. He's played at least 70% of the snaps in 17 games over the past two seasons. And in those games, he caught 5.8 of his 8.2 targets per game for an average of 77 yards and 0.24 touchdowns per game. That over a full season uh, equates to the number 12 receiver in PPR formats, number 14 receiver in standard league. So that's what we're looking at in terms of his ceiling. Uh, if he can, if he can get a, a couple more touchdowns, just in a positive regression manner, uh, that would be great for his overall value. So, uh, moving on to uh, one of my favorite uh, middle round picks, he's going in the seventh to ninth round range. I picked him up in the ninth round of NFL ten recently. Uh, Tyrell Williams. Uh, we have Mike Williams there as the rookie. His uh, the pick that pick uh, really weighted down Tyrell Williams. Uh, ADP for most of the offseason, but now Mike Williams is dealing with a back injury. He's not practicing. He's missing all sorts of reps, uh, and it, it looks like Tyrell Williams will be uh, the, the number two receiver there uh, in uh, Los Angeles. i got to get, get used to saying that. Uh, for the Chargers, um, you know, Keenan Allen is uh, rated very well in your reception perception as well, but Tyrell Williams did as well. Uh, and if you could talk a little bit about him and, and maybe, uh, you know, what you see in terms of his ability in the red zone, uh, because it looks to me like he's a really good value there, especially playing behind the relatively fragile uh, Allen as the number one receiver. Yeah, I think Williams, that being Ty- – it's tough. They've got all these Williams there in, in, mm-hmm. in with the Chargers now, but Tyrell Williams specifically. You can call him Tyrell. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just call him Tyrell, yeah. <laughs> so Tyrell, like, I think he had a legitimate breakout season last year, which made the pick of Mike Williams at seventh overall, which is – a hell of a draft capital to sink into a wide receiver and you know it made me question it's like well I think Tyrell Williams is really good reception perception thinks Tyrell Williams is really good but if the Chargers don't think Tyrell Williams is really good and, and maybe they don't by taking that pick of Mike Williams you know you got to kind of ask yourself well, well so what if the Chargers think that that Mike Williams is better they will play Mike Williams and and that is the way of the NFL world but it looks like we don't even really have to worry about the answer to that question right now because Williams as you mentioned is is going to be you're probably mostly a non-factor in his rookie season with the back injury and missing a lot of time. But Tyrell Williams is a, is one of the examples of a wide receiver that he he is a big wide out on paper, but he definitely win, you know wins more in the in the small game. To quote my friend Josh Norris, um, his overall scores are really great in terms of success rate versus man coverage. His seventy three point seven percent success rate cleared the eighty seventh percentile. Um, and his success rate versus zone was a top eight among the receivers charted in 2016. Now, when you break him down route by route, he has good success rates across the board, not just the vertical patterns, but also, uh, you know, pretty much on the short to intermediate routes as well. When you look on the routes that he was best at and the ones he was used most often, he pops up on mostly routes that break into the middle of the field, slants, digs, posts. Those are the routes that he was really great at. You know, again, if you if you just watched him play, you could see his run after the catch ability is apparent. He is someone that's really dominant on those particular patterns. Like I mentioned, the slant and the post are some of his best routes. So I think that he's not necessarily going to be a player that is going to be a big red zone threat. He actually had a below average contested catch conversion rate was below the 50th percentile. So I think that he's much more of a run after catch player. But, you know, right now... He's a great pick at his average draft position. He has a much higher ceiling than that. And, you know, right now he he projects really well to, like you said, be the number two target there if Keenan Allen stays healthy, which we know is not something that he's often one to do. So I'm really excited about about Tyrell Williams this year for sure. Yeah, he's, he's the 40th off the board, 40th receiver off the board. He finished 12th in standard and 18th in PPR. Obviously the uh, the return of Keenan Allen is going to affect his, his volume, but uh... – I think it's a really good pick at that uh, stage in the draft as as well. He was uh, the number one red zone target for the Chargers. He actually, or not red zone, uh, inside the 10, he had the most targets of all the Chargers. Uh, I think he had eight with uh, Antonio Gates and uh, Hunter Henry checking in with seven. So they are looking for him down there, even if maybe he doesn't have the best efficiency in the red zone. Tyrell finished eighth in my rankings out of, you know, when I when I compiled your, your data uh, your, of your top 50, he finished eighth. 
Um, Keenan Allen finished third. And just to go back to Willie Sneed, he was sixth. Michael Thomas was seventh. So these are all guys in your top ten. I'm not I'm saying your top ten, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Uh, the guy that I want to talk about now uh, finished second, and it was kind of a surprise. You quote-unquote said he wildly impressed when he was able to uh, run routes, uh, when he was given the opportunity to run routes. His name's Tyreek Hill. He's one of the most divisive uh, picks uh, this year. Uh, his ADP is anywhere in the fourth or fifth round. We have we have fantasy analysts that believe in him heavily. We have fantasy analysts that are extre- extremely skeptical about his ability to, to be a full-time receiver, to be the number one receiver for the Chiefs. So uh, talk a little bit about Tyreek Hill and what you saw when you charted him. Yeah, Tyreek is definitely a super polarizing player in fantasy this year, but I think Really, this is why I like doing what I do, which is, you know, going beyond just what a player did, but like potentially imagining what else they could do if they were asked to do more. Um, And, you know, for for me, analysis on Tyreek Hill's rookie year that sounds like, well, he can't repeat his efficiency in that role. It's like, well, that doesn't really do anything for me. I, I already I know that intuitively. I know he's not going to do that, but. I don't think the Chiefs are going to ask him to do those things anymore. And they've signaled that with their offseason moves in terms of releasing Jeremy Macklin, um, essentially telling us point blank that Hill is killing it in training camp. He's going to be the top target on that in that wide receiver group. We haven't seen this type of commitment with players like Tavon Austin or Cordero Patterson in the past. And, you know, reception perception shows that, like you said, Tyreek Hill really succeeded as a route runner when he was asked to do so. Looking back at Cordero Patterson's rookie season, he posted a 49% success rate versus man coverage, which is below the fifth percentile. I mean, that is a score that that's not encouraging whereas on the other hand Tyreek Hill when he was asked to run routes he cleared the 80th percentile in success rate versus man zone and press coverage now though that is all in a small sample size much fewer routes than you would expect from a typical reception perception sample but I think what that goes to show you is that he can at least do those things and as long as he continues to expand his technique and his route acumen which he has done this offseason per all reports we can definitely see Hill move into more of a full-time receiver role. So I, it's really like that. You have to ask yourself the question, do you believe Hill can do more than what he was asked to do as a rookie? I believe based on his reception perception results that he can. Now for, for fantasy, there's obviously going to be the question of, you know, do you like his price? I kind of fall on the fact that he's, he's fairly valued around that wide receiver 20 range. Um, I think it's really easy to project him for 70 catches and still get some rush attempts as well. Uh, but he's another one that I'm very sensitive to roster construction when I'm considering taking Hill. If I've gone with a running back heavy start, uh, I probably am not interested in investing in Tyree Hill at his fourth round ADP. However, if I've started with a couple of wide receivers, um, and Hill can be kind of my third guy, then I'm really interested because I feel more insulated from the weekly downside and more exposed to the weekly upside, which I definitely believe he is still going to have those boom weeks. And if there are s- slower weeks that are going to come just by his own development or just playing in the Chiefs offense, for God's sakes, like uh, I think I'm more just safer from that if I've constructed the, ro- the proper roster around him. So I'm, I'm pretty much in on Tyreek Hill this year. Uh, just to add uh, a stat, uh, when Macklin missed uh, four games last year, it's a small sample, but Hill averaged uh, seven receptions on 8.5 targets for 63 yards, 0.25 touchdowns uh, per game, and he also uh, gets a little bit of work in the rushing game. So uh, there's that upside as well. Obviously, he's going to probably uh, regress in his touchdown rate, but uh, you know this sort of involvement we saw it in a in a snapshot last year it really bodes well for what they're gonna do with him this year and it's not like they're shying away from saying that he's their he's their main receiver uh let's talk a little bit about uh my favorite pick in the sixth round uh fans anybody that's listening listening to the, the podcast regularly knows i love pierre garçon in the sixth round especially in ppr formats uh reuniting with uh uh kyle shanahan there in san francisco had the huge year uh, the last time they were together in 2013. Uh, he showed well in your uh, reception perception as well. He finished eighth. I'm going to call him the composite rankings. That way we get over that uh, awkwardness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, he, he did well. He looked like he did well. Um, so as the number one receiver there in San Francisco, he doesn't have a lot of comp- competition for touches. How do you think he's going to fare as he draws uh, the top corner um, 
and but it just looks to me like he's going to see huge volume there playing for Shanahan. Yeah, Garcon's a, a, a layup kind of kind of call this year is one of the two players in my opinion at the wide receiver position that are priced blatantly below their floor. Garcon right now goes off the board on fantasy football calculator as the 36th wide receiver off the board in the top of the eighth round. I think he clearly outkicks that ADP. He was one of the more surprising players in in reception perception that I that I charted. Um, he finished with a 74% success rate versus man coverage. Uh, as I mentioned with Michael Thomas, that's around the 88th percentile. He also cleared the NFL average against zone and press coverage. Um, he was above average on most routes, including vertical and shorter patterns. I think he's just a really underrated, good wide receiver. Um, also finished above average in contested catch conversion rate. Like, I think this situation, and I'm not the first one to say this, it's not a unique take, this situation looks awfully familiar to what he saw last time he and Kyle Shanahan were together on a 3-13 and Washington team back in 2013, back in 2013 uh, where he led the NFL in catches with 113 on 181 targets. So this situation looks like kind of a similar situation to that. I think he pretty much gets 80 catches in his sleep and could push 90 or more if he does have a great season. I mean... There's going to be he's another one that kind of finishes he's in a tier with Martavis Bryant for me with Tyree Kill with Dante Moncrief kind of in that early 20s range uh, because I think he's going to have some week to week volatility to him not because of his own accord but just because of the fact that he plays in an offense that probably isn't going to score a lot of points and like you mentioned he is going to be seeing some tougher cornerbacks so there will be some week to week volatility with him. Uh, but I think he has great potential from a season-long perspective to outkick his his average draft position. So you mentioned that you had another player that was uh, wildly undervalued. Who was, who uh, was Stephon it? Diggs at wide receiver thirty? Yeah, I mean he's okay. priced below the wide receiver thirty range, wide receiver thirty-two on Fantasy Football Calculator, and I have him projected for a wide receiver sixteen finish. Um, and I think he's of those guys. He goes off the board. Uh, who I, and I like all of these players: Larry Fitzgerald, Willie Sneed, Jamison Crowder, Stefan Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders. Those guys all kind of go in the late sixth, early seventh round on ADP. He's my favorite. Well, like I said, I'm in on all those players, but he's the one that I think has the best season long ceiling out of those players. Because I think he can easily get 130 targets. And to me, he has true superstar talent. Uh, he's a guy who has been above 70% success rate versus man coverage in both of his two seasons. He actually bumped his contested catch rate and his success rate versus press coverage from year one to year two. He wins on not only those short to, short to intermediate routes, but also vertically. So if they ask him to do more downfield work, I think he can uh, be that type of guy. And But for fantasy, his role is going to be so great as, a, as their high-volume slot receiver. I'm just – Diggs is the one player this year, like, I don't want to leave any draft without. Um, and I'm bummed if I miss out on him. So he's a guy I'm really high on too. That's quite an endorsement, and you sh- uh, listeners should listen to Matt Harmon because he knows his receivers. Uh, I wanted to add uh, with Diggs that I, I noticed I do the injury reports uh, work at 444, and I noticed that when he's on the injury report during the week, uh, he doesn't doesn't perform very well compared to when he's completely healthy or completely off the injury report. And uh, he averaged four catches for 37 yards and .14 touchdowns in the seven games where he was on the report. And uh, didn't crack the 60-yard mark in that in that uh, span. And in the six games where he was not on the injury report, he averaged 9.3 catches for 107 yeah. yards and .33 touchdowns on 11.5 targets. So when he's healthy and active, and this is like uh, probably a good gem for the uh, DFS folks. But uh, when he's not in injury report, uh, he's really, really, really produced. He cracked the the 60-yard mark in five uh, of those six games and gained 100 yards. Uh, at least 100 yards three times in that in that six game span so uh, he's definitely one you want to monitor with the with the injury report um moving on here i want to talk about a chicago receiver that i would say he's a little bit divisive he's going the eighth ninth round uh, sometimes a little bit later uh cameron meredith we have we have kevin white coming back but cameron meredith uh came in last year under undrafted uh and did a real nice job for the Bears after they had a ton of injuries at the position. Um, from week five on, he he offered uh, wide receiver sixteen uh, type PPR numbers. Um, I'm I'm wondering what your take is on this uh, receiving core, and do you think Meredith is the best one of the bunch, and do you think he outperforms Kevin? I White? do think that Cameron Meredith is the best wide receiver they have right now. I mean, they have like a really peculiar collection of wide receivers there in Chicago. You know, these kind of 
has been or never were veterans and Kendall Wright, Marcus Wheaton, Victor Cruz, uh, even Ruben Randall is there, I think, which is like, whoa, I forgot he's still on an NFL roster. Uh, and then they have Kevin White, who has really had a just a, a dark career to this point with injuries and then, you know, all these reports about they have to remind him how good he is, which is really not something you ever want to hear. Um, so... I think Meredith, I mean, he's the only one that's put any good film out among this group in the last calendar year. So I'm excited about Cameron Meredith this year. Looking at his reception perception, I actually, if your listeners want to check this out on Twitter, use the hashtag reception perception and type Meredith's name in. I tweeted out a graph splitting out the his success rates and his routes run when he played most of his snaps outside versus when he plays, plays most of his snaps uh, from the slot. And he was really successful on both. Obviously, his success rates boosted up into you know the into really skyrocketing ranges when he went into the slot but he was still successful at beating outside coverage as well um i think he can be a high volume possession type receiver that off, also offers some big playability i don't think he's you know necessarily like a a breakout like a superstar level talent his contested catch conversion rate is probably the weakest area of his game with 45.5% but if any, if there's any like late round breakout receiver this year, I think Meredith is that guy for me. I mean, people are kind of always asking me of who who is that player right now. Meredith is a guy I would take there. I'm I'm excited about his ability. His opportunity looks nice, uh, and I think regardless of where the Bears deploy him, whether it be slot or outside, I think he can he can be successful there. Um, I feel a little less great about it after watching the the Bears' supposed starting quarterback and Mike Glennon play not so great in the preseason this this uh, past game. Uh, but I, I think Meredith is a is a definitely an ascendant talent at the wide receiver position. And he's probably somebody that in friends and family leagues probably goes a couple yeah. rounds later uh, than what we're seeing in MFL tens because right now he's the thirty seventh uh, receiver off the board in MFL tens, and I think that's good value there, but. Um, I, I would expect him to fall into the ninth, tenth round in, in uh, home leagues, uh, where people aren't maybe uh, as tuned in to the to the Bears receiving core. Um, the, the guys we've been talking about, uh, Matt has been going over some of my targets, uh, and they're ones that did fairly well in his study. And now I want to talk a little bit about some of the maybe the bad. Uh, the, the route running that wasn't quite as crisp, or the success rates that weren't quite as high. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about Devontae Parker and, and the breakout potential uh, that he has uh, in Miami. He's had a great off season, according to his coaches. Uh, we seems like we've heard this story before. And now we have a, uh, a quarterback change there with Jay Cutler, uh, in likely in for Ryan Tannehill's dealing with a knee injury. Uh, what'd you see when you, when you looked at Parker? Yeah. Parker has been a player that has, it, he improved from year one to year two in his reception perception, but I mean, he finished below the fifth percentile in a lot of statistics in his first year. So he had a, he had a lot of room for improvement. Uh, so take from that, which you will. Uh, I do think that there is a scenario where Parker does take the next step as an individual player, just because a lot of what seemed to be holding him back uh, was, you know, his approach to the game, his like his diet, just how much working out he was doing on his own. So if those things have truly improved, you know, these are this is why I don't necessarily always want to take my analysis and say like, hey, his reception perception was bad. Therefore, this is a bad player. Uh, Sometimes there are other factors that go into film observation. Um, but there's there's no doubt that his his success rates were, were quite poor even in 2015. He finished at the ninth percentile versus man coverage. He finished at the 6th percentile versus press coverage. I think that he is – he and Brandon Cooks, who's another one who finishes similarly to Parker, are guys that obviously I think they can be productive NFL receivers and they make big splash plays, but they're not consistent number one options. And for me, for fantasy, it doesn't even really matter if Parker takes a step forward as an individual unless he just takes leaps and bounds and changes their offensive trajectory, which I guess is in the range of outcomes. But right now the Dolphins will remain a run-heavy team. I mean, they found a successful offensive identity with Jake or with uh, with Jay Ajayi as their, you know, centerpiece, their foundation of their offense and I think whenever we're projecting things for fantasy and especially projecting things to potentially change, we have to ask ourselves, what was, was the team doing this thing that we want them to do or we project them to do when they were winning games, when they were successful? Because that's the bottom line for NFL teams. And they found a winning formula with Jay Ajayi as that foundation point. So I don't think they're going to change their run play percentage too much. And if Jarvis Landry is still there soaking up 120 to 130 targets, which I think is like kind of a bare minimum sort of situation, 
it's just not going to be much volume for Parker to pick up with stills also there brought back on a nice contract too. So I'm pretty much off on Parker in fantasy this year. I'm willing to be uh, wrong about that. He's just, if he's just taken massive leaps and steps forward, but uh, the results from his first year is certainly not encouraging. Yeah. Looking at his NFL ADP, uh, Garcon's going 34th, Moncrief 35th, Parker 36th, Meredith 37th, uh, Tyrell Williams 40th. So, uh, you know, yeah, I'm not like getting a lot, Parker, a lot of Parker uh, right now either. I, yeah, you like all those guys a lot more. Uh, so uh, one player that was in the bottom 10, I would say, uh, the, the 50 that you charted uh, when, I, when I did the composite rankings, uh, it was a little bit surprising because he had a, a relatively good year considering uh, who his quarterback was, mm-hmm. Kenny Britt. Um, he and Corey Coleman, actually, both the Cleveland receivers now, um, both finished in the bottom uh, 20% so, or so of this, uh, these composite rankings. So I'm curious uh, what you saw with Britt, uh, you know, being able to produce numbers in that offense, which was really one of the you know, all-time bat- worst uh, pass offenses uh, in the league in any given year. Uh, was pretty impressive, and now he's heading to, to Cleveland. Uh, you know, maybe there's a quarterback upgrade there. Uh, which Deshaun Kaiser um, and then Corey Coleman, who was just getting peppered with targets last year, but didn't uh, do much. Yeah, I was disappointed by Britt's results, too. I expected to see better things from him in 2016 in in terms of reception perception. Now, I will note that uh, when charting him in the first half of the season versus second half of the season, you know, the numbers definitely went down as the season progressed in terms of his overall success rates, success rates on individual routes. And you know, I don't want to – this is – this. like I said, there are things beyond just talent that go into your film observations and why – I. this is why I do what I do in terms of cataloging and creating a rubric for this as, in, as opposed to just going off gut feeling or whatever. But his play definitely, like I said, tailed off as the season progressed um, and perhaps that's, you know, just, wow, the Rams are really bad, you know, this is, you know – I'm not. I'm not implying that like he quit on the team or any anything like that. But just sometimes they're they're with a with a with such a depressing figure like Jared Goff at quarterback, um, it can just affect the offense overall. And perhaps again, just a theory. That's what went on with Kenny Britt. But his results, like I said, were were much more disappointing than I expected. Um, you know, he only finished above average on three routes: the slant, the screen, and the deep out. Um, I think he's definitely a solid NFL receiver. Um, he didn't cross the uh, 22nd percentile in any of success rate versus man zone or press. But I think, again, he can be, he can be productive and he can be good in contested situations. Uh, like the thing with me and Kenny Britt this year for fantasy, you know, I have him projected at wide receiver 39, which is above his average draft position right now, but I don't know how hard I want to stump for Kenny Britt because it's still Kenny Britt in the Browns offense. You know what I mean? Like I see, I see some analysts like tweet every day about how undervalued Kenny Britt is. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I agree. He's undervalued, but like how much do I want to hit the stump for, for Kenny Britt is, is essentially what I'm saying. Corey Coleman's one. You meant, you just mentioned him briefly, like in reception perception, I think is really fascinating because he ran more just straight go routes, you know, the nine straight down the field vertical patterns uh, than any other receiver. Over 32% of his routes were were the go route, which, you know, I, I, I get it. He's definitely a speed threat. But what he's best at is getting the ball in space. He was only in space, which is another metric that I chart on just 5% of his routes. That's something I definitely like to see those two kind of flip. You know, I'd like to see him run less deep routes and run more you know, just layup routes to get him into the middle of the field where he's just really dangerous at breaking tackles. So those two are a fascinating kind of one-two this year because I think Coleman has more potential than what he showed as a rookie. Let's talk a little bit about Kelvin Benjamin. He didn't show real well as a route runner, uh, and I'm wondering if it if it matters with him given his size. Uh, this Carolina offense uh, should bounce back, the passing offense anyway, uh, assuming uh, Cam Newton can get healthy. Uh, they didn't play very very well as a, a unit last year, and so there's some upside here. And Mike Clay was on the, the podcast, uh, last episode of the podcast, and uh, he said that Benjamin has one of the easiest cornerback schedules uh, of anyone out there. So uh, well, what do you think of Benjamin? He's another one that I mentioned earlier. Like I'd encourage your listeners to check on Twitter, the hashtag Reception Perception, and put in Kelvin Benjamin's name. I tweeted out a GIF comparing his first season in 2014 to this past season success rate by route chart um and it's important to note that while i agree with you that his separation is never going to be a strength like no doubt about it his size is always going to be 
uh, his biggest asset, and he's posted a 72.7% contested catch conversion rate uh, from his rookie season and in 2016. So that's obviously going to be his strength. But his success rate versus man coverage fell by, or yeah, his success rate versus man coverage fell by seven. 0.8 percentage points and his success rate versus press coverage score fell by a whopping 24 percent from 2014 to 2016 so like that's a pretty shocking difference it's one of the higher differences that i've i've seen over the last few years uh so one you one at least has to wonder if what we saw out of kelvin benjamin last year is kind of a worst case scenario in terms of an individual player and, and right now in fantasy i mean i don't really care uh, how good of a route runner he is he goes right now off the board you know in that really he has a wide range of outcomes but he's just a cheap source of touchdown equity right now he's going to be a red zone threat in an offense like you said that should bounce back so he's another one that I'm kind of in on right now depending on where he he goes in the draft if he falls into the six round range um, and I don't necessarily want to pluck one of those floor plays like Snead or uh, Jamison Crowder there then I'm looking at Calvin Benjamin as a like I said a cheap source of touchdown equity any thoughts on Devin Funches? Because there's been some bunts, uh, some, some yeah. Buzz I remember last year recently. when there was buzz about Devin Funches too. Uh, like last, I actually charted his his rookie season for reception. Perception was really poor, um, and he did not take steps. He's not in the in the ultimate draft kit for the fantasy footballers, but he did not take necessary steps to improve from year one to year two. So he's kind of just in the I'll believe it when I see it phase uh, right now. I did even say last year though in a few articles for NFL.com when there was all the hype about him last year as like the star of Panthers training camp. But we've seen a little bit of that sneak out this year too. Um, we like, I, d- I thought if there was going to be a year, 2017 would be that year for for Devin Funches, just because he's on a slow burn in terms of his development. You know, he was kind of a multiple position player in college, uh, so I, I don't know. I will, I will never believe that he will usurp the the top receiver job from Kelvin Benjamin. I know some people have have implied that that could be the case. I highly doubt it I mean they like what Benjamin brings to the table whether you like it or not um and Funches just really hasn't shown anything on the field that would lead you to believe he can be a consistent starting receiver um I think that he'll be the number two this year but this offense is changing away from these you know long striding lack of separation deep down the field vertical players to more of the layup passes for for Cam Newton and a guy like Devin Funches who has never been a even a 60% catch rate player, that's that's not the type that they're looking for right now. So another player that is, uh, I would say, is fairly divisive in terms of uh, fantasy rankings. I had him, I moved him up in recent weeks uh, as, as the, the good news is buzz, uh, coming, coming out of the New England uh, training camp. And uh, but he didn't perform particularly well in your charting. Brandon Cooks, uh, I'm wondering how you see him fitting uh, with the with the Patriots and what they will want him to do and on those routes that he will be running for them, uh, did he fare better than than maybe his average? Uh, he, he certainly has a ton of upside, given the quarterback there. The team's likely to score a good bet to score the most touchdowns this year, um, and he's going to be a deep threat for them as well. He's got that speed. So Brandon you know, Cooks is long been kind of a thorn in the side of reception perception uh if that's one way to put it and you know people that love brandon cooks really tend to kind of ignore uh, my analysis on him and you know i know that you've you've done the work to put this into a composite score and one of the re- like cooks is a good reason that i've always i actually wrote a piece for backyard banter on my website why i've never wanted to do that myself um is because i think it, it like my point is not to say that yeah brandon cooks finished 50th out of 50 receivers charted in the ultimate draft kit in terms of success rate versus man coverage and press coverage. Therefore, he is a bad player. That's not really what I'm looking to say with this, but I think I am trying to show that Cooks is not along the path of like the true number one wide receivers in the NFL. And I think the Saints obviously agree with that. You know, that a second round receiver usurped him for that role last year, and then they've shipped him out of town this following year. And he's gone to a team, like, I think he's the consummate high-end role player which I know people think role player is a pejorative term but the NFL is full of role players that guys that fit into certain spots and succeed in certain things and aren't so great at others and Cooks is that guy I mean he's good on a few short routes like the flat or you know the underneath screen but he's also one of the best vertical threats in the NFL and those are the exact routes that he has above average success rate versus coverage scores on the in reception perception on his success rate versus coverage chart so I think that he's going to a place that is 
elite at finding the roles in which players succeed in, you know, in New England. So I think he'll be really he's a nice he's a nice fit there from a true football perspective. I actually, despite the fact reception perception is never kind to Brandon Cooks, I really liked the trade from the sense of the Patriots to get an established guy who brings something that they don't have in any of the other receivers there, which is just true vertical ability and ability to succeed with speed and space. Now for fantasy, I don't know where you have him uh, ranked, John, or have him projected, but he doesn't come when I projected out the New England offense. He does not. I mean, he comes out really low there uh, simply because of the volume that you need to, in my opinion, divvy up to Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski to having them throw to the running backs. It's tough for Brandon Cooks to even push 105 targets. And that's just simply not going to be enough for him to pay off his draft costs, which is, you know, like the wide receiver 12 range right now. Um, I'm I'm not paying that, uh, even though I know he will give big weeks. That's kind of the thing that people forget about Brandon Cooks seemingly every year. They look at the season end numbers, but the journey to get there is never fun. And I think it will be even less fun now in a New England offense that definitely is one of the best in the NFL, but is less pass heavy than the Saints. I mean, almost everybody's less pass heavy than the Saints. So uh, I, I'm pretty much off on Brandon Cooks at cost and fantasy right now, even though I like the trade from a real life perspective for the Patriots. Yeah, he's been creeping up my rankings in PPR. I now have him at twelve, and that feels a little high. I was, as you mentioned, the, the New England offense is is it's difficult to to get everybody, especially if you're looking at ADP right now. Like, I don't know how Gronk finishes as the number one tight end. Brandon Cooks finishes as the number twelve uh, receiver. Edelman finishes at whatever twenty five he's at. Um, and then you've you've also got some pretty good receivers there on the bench that uh, you know Chris Hogan and Malcolm Mitchell and Danny Amendola who are also going to play and get more. Uh, stats than maybe people think uh it, it's just it, it's interesting with cooks though that the the report the reports out of camp are so glowing he's putting on a clinic quote unquote against the jaguars which i don't know if we should uh be be moving him up our draft boards for putting on a clinic against the jaguars but in practice but uh, i do think that they'll maybe run him a little bit more than the saints did uh if, if he's having a game where he's not getting a ton of touches uh that might boost his floor a little bit but i definitely agree that it's hard to look at this New England offense and see how everybody meets expectations. So I sort of look at it like if I'm in the fourth, fifth round, I'm usually a weight on quarterback guy, but I think the, the one player that I really want is Tom Brady, um, even though I'm usually waiting until the 12th, 11th, 11th or 12th round to draft somebody like Andy Dalton. Um, so let's uh, move on to a few rookies because you also charted a number of, of rookies. Uh, we've already talked about Zay Jones a little bit, so let's talk about John Ross. He's got this four-two-two speed. He's uh, coming off a shoulder injury uh, and surgery, I believe, and it was a late graduate, uh, and, and so he missed most of the OTAs. Uh, he's, so he's kind of you know starting his professional career a little bit later. Uh, is he? A, and he's going really late, fourteenth, fifteenth round now. Um, is he a player that uh, you know is, is a stash? or has maybe a mid-season addition, uh, has some upside there. He only has to beat out uh, Brandon LaFell uh, to be the number two receiver there. Uh, what do you think about Ross? Yeah, Ross is, a, is an interesting player. Uh, in terms of fantasy, I don't think I'm really spending a draft pick in a traditional redraft league for Ross right now because this, you know, we just talked about the Patriots. This, this Bengals offense is a packed house too. I mean, they have a ton of weapons. I mean, they go four deep at wide receiver. You know, I, mean, I know everybody hates Brandon LaFell, but he's he was a useful player for them last year. They have Tyler Boyd, who's a, a fine slot receiver, you know, in that kind of big slot mold a little bit. Uh, obviously, A.J. Green's one of the best in the NFL. And then John Ross really brings something that they don't have. And that's, you know, in addition to three running backs and Tyler Eifert at, at tight end. I mean, this is a packed house, like I said, for uh, for the Bengals. But I think... I'm really excited about Ross's future because during the draft process, I mean, I think that wide receivers, I mentioned this at the top, are tough for people to evaluate. And a lot of times we hang on to just one trait and that's all we know about this player. And speed is one of, uh, in addition to size, speed will get you typecasted quicker than almost anything at the wide receiver position in terms of, you know, the one trick pony labels or whatever. But I think that there's, there is definitely a small speed receiver archetype in the NFL, but I think John Ross can go along the high end of that speed receiver archetype more towards the T.Y. Hilton range of outcomes than like the you know Will Fuller range of outcomes. Uh, when you look at his success rate versus coverage chart on all the routes, uh, he obviously is a great straight go route runner at 62.2% success rate versus coverage, but then you look at the dig, the out, the comeback, the curl, the flat, all those are above the prospect average as well so I think Ross can grow to become a you know kind of a 
a, a strong number two, potentially one B to to AJ Green in that wide receiver group. But for year one, I think it might be a little bit of a slower burn just because he's missed some time in the offseason. And this is kind of a crowded house right now uh, at, at the Bengals wide receiver group. Yeah, I would uh, recommend that owners keep an eye on his snaps. And if they start to increase and he starts to get into the 60, 70% range with his snaps, then uh, it's time for a pickup if he hasn't already. Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't already produced at that point. Uh, LaFell was um, effective for them, especially in the red zone. Bigger receiver, not clearly not as fast as John Ross, although I'd love to see the two uh, have a race in practice. Uh Let's talk about Carlos Henderson. Uh, he, he's, a, he's in Denver behind uh, Demarius Tom, uh, Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, I like uh, both players at their value uh, right now, those, those two players. I, I do like uh, Emmanuel Sanders more in the fifth than, than Demarius in the third. Uh, so Carlos Henderson sort of behind those two guys as, as the third receiver there potentially. Uh, you wrote about him, and you, I, I pulled a quote here. Sometimes it just clicks. What did you mean by that? I uh, just, you know, like – you watch this guy play and it's like, wow, you know, even, even the casual observer can look at Carlos Henderson, you know, some highlight reels or like a draft breakdown clip and really observe some, some good play. I mean, he's a tough player in contested situations, 60, 76% contested catch conversion rate. So he's that, that small receiver that succeeds in the air. Um, he's great after the catch. I know PFF confirmed that my numbers also confirmed that. Uh, he broke multiple tackles on his in-space attempts on 39% of those in-space attempts. Uh, the second best score over the last two years of prospect charting is Corey Davis at 22%. So you can see just how wildly better than everybody else he is at breaking tackles out in space. But then you also look at his uh, at his success rate versus cover scores. He's really great. Again, you know, running routes against a lower level of competition. But what you want to see out of those players uh, is that they just absolutely smashed the competition, and Carlos Henderson certainly did that. Um, he was probably the best player this year in success rate versus coverage. Um, he actually bested Sterling Shepard's uh, success rate versus press coverage, which was the highest last year, at 92.6% for Henderson this year. So uh, he also succeeded 90.5% success rate versus zone coverage and 78.9% success rate versus man coverage. And was above average on multiple routes. So I think this is a guy with a ton of potential and appeal right away because if he's able to succeed, you know, succeed enough to grab a role, there's really no third wide receiver in Denver last year. I mean, number three in receptions on the Broncos in 2016 was backup running back Devontae Booker. So you can see that there's some opportunity there for Henderson to grab right away. Um, and I think he's actually very similar to Emmanuel Sanders, both in terms of his build and the way he plays as an, you know, a, an aggressive physical route runner despite his size so I, I really like Henderson long term and even this year he there's a, a potential for him to grab a role uh, right away and he's available really late in in the draft and you know playing behind Demaryius Thomas who has been a little bit dinged up the last few years uh, there's a there's a chance that uh, he could be an attrition play that would you know all of a sudden be getting wide receiver two type targets uh, if one of those two guys goes down the last guy I want to ask you about uh, <laughs> with the Jets um, so I know you, I know you, I think you charted him. I, you didn't write him up. So I'm interested to hear your take on him. Um, our Darius Stewart, uh, we have a situation with the jets where they, they let, uh, Brandon Marshall walk. They let Eric Decker walk, uh, their top, uh, receiver heading into the season. Quincy and Nunwa just, uh, was ruled out for the year with a neck injury. So they're down to Robbie Anderson or Darius Stewart, uh, Jerome peak. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of opportunity here for a bad team. That's probably going to be throwing the ball more than they would like. Uh, can Stewart capitalize on that? Yeah, Stewart fits well into like the Golden Tate, Jamison Crowder type of wide receiver where they're not great versus man coverage or press coverage, but they're really solid against zones in the middle of the field. Um, Stewart, I think, is that type of receiver. So there's some appeal there for him to grab an early role. I mean, we saw Crowder was number two in receptions to Amari Cooper in that 2015 draft class if I remember correctly so we could see Stewart actually have kind of a similar rookie season he he's just did such a terrible offense man and like I, I don't know about you I don't know how you're approaching Jets this year but I'm just kind of like hashtag never Jets this this season um so I, I don't know but I'm definitely interested in seeing if he can grab some early playing time because he's a bit different than guys like Robbie Anderson or Sharon Peak. there he's definitely more of that like I said, you know, middle of the field type of threat. And and that was kind of where Quincy Inunua was going to be, in my opinion, where he's best to play as well. So Stewart definitely has some opportunity to grab there, but it's still like 
Oof, it's the Jets and uh, yikes. But I'm interested in, in watching Stewart. Yeah, we might, we, we might, we might, uh, we might see Austin Safarian Jenkins, Jenkins uh, lead the team in in receptions this year. That'd be that would be something. Even, even after being suspended for four games, no, he's definitely one that I'm. I like of yeah. all the Jets right now, I'm most ex- excited about Safarian Jenkins, and and that's been a pretty steady drumbeat throughout the offseason, which I think is important to track. And you know, with that point on Stewart too, like he hasn't been on the practice field all that much. So uh, if he's gonna get going, he needs to, you know, like I said, he needs to get going. So. Uh, that wraps it up. Uh, I, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on. Uh, you can find Matt's work at Matt Harmon underscore BYB, uh, NFL.com. And if you're want, really interested in his reception perception work, uh, go to receptionperception.com before signing up over at the Fantasy Footballer so he gets credit for that. Matt, thanks for so much for coming on a crazy, crazy NFL day. Yeah, my pleasure, John. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, a ton of players to discuss. And gosh, so much so much is about to change. Uh, so, much for, uh, so much for the weekend, right? All right. And uh, we'll see you next time on 4-4's Most Accurate Podcast.